This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hi, this is Sandra McCracken, and you're listening to The Steadfast Podcast. In 2014, I first worked alongside David Kim, helping with music at an event for the Center for Faith and Work. David founded the Gotham Fellowship Program in New York City that is still flourishing. Meanwhile, David has recently founded a new ministry called Goldenwood, together with Amy Lee Watkins, which deepens the real-life application of what he's been teaching all these years, cultivating a new vision of faith and work. Goldenwood offers quarterly reflective retreats and daily practice and listening exercises in community. I have benefited richly from the resources that David and Amy Lee have put out into the world. We met up for a Zoom call for a great discussion about renewal and patience that isn't driven by immediate gratification. This conversation points toward our mutual longing to see God's work played out over time. Grateful to have had this conversation and I can't wait for you to join us. Welcome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for making time for this. I've been, I have so benefited from the last few months of spending time together with you guys and with the resources of Goldenwood. And I'm excited for people to hear about it and to hear some of the backstory and how we got here. So, I mean, I guess starting out, I would, I would just highlight what, what you guys, that you have both had, you've had this combined 30 years of experience in spiritual and leadership development. You've been kind of all over the place with that. And maybe we do that one at a time, but would you all share a little bit about the history of that? Like where you've come from as far as the faith and work theology and um, how you got to this moment right now, given some of the story behind this? Well, you you have more of that 30 years of history, but I guess what is really such been, what has been a beautiful part of the story is that I came into this work um, about 10 years ago with David, through David. And um, we, uh, he was leading a faith and work program, discipleship, spiritual formation program that really captivated my imagination. Um, and I think I had always known that our inner life was vitally connected to our outer work in the world. And yet much of my spiritual upbringing and Christian formation really lived as if they were two separate uh, sections and segments of our life. And so I, but I felt intrinsically that the work I was doing in the world, so to speak, was really connected to my Christian calling. And so uh, entered into this program and was really all of a sudden felt like the penny dropped, you know, felt like everything kind of made sense and aligned with that deeper sense of calling that I had that was one calling <laughs> to be faithful in this world and live in light of eternity and seek to make that manifest here in the here and now as God called us into different places and spaces in this world. So it was through a program that David was running that that um, really crystallized for me and I felt kind of launched into this uh, space and has been, have been now graciously, God's led this work forward. David and I have been doing this together now for over a decade. Hmm. You know, I mean, as, 
as a means of context, I remember the first time I met you guys was also at one of, it was like a, a weekend retreat as part of the Gotham Fellowship in in New Jersey, right? It was at Princeton, New Jersey. And I think that was the first time we kind of worked together, right? And I was doing some music, but it really stood out to me um, just this, the spaciousness of the time. So this was like a rigorous fellowship program. And these um, participants had been studying for a year at this point. And, and I actually, I think this was a group that uh, people had, that had even done it in years past. So the alumni mm-hmm. and I was leading some music and I just remember like, it just felt so open. It was almost like a little bit unnerving, like, okay, here's Sandra, we're going to have this time. And this is what we were expecting the Holy spirit to do. And <laughs> let's just see what happens. And I was just like, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I'm qualified to, to lead or to facilitate and, you know, an hour or two of like this movement between contemplative prayer and singing and scripture reading and teaching. And it just mm-hmm. happened so effortlessly. And even though I was nervous about my participation in it, it was like, I think, I think that was, it was, it was a combination of spontaneity and rich theology. So a lot of teaching that, that came before that moment, you know, that informs the spontaneity and then just a trust of the spirit to move into that time. So the, the like you're saying, Amy Lee, like the formation that can happen in times like that is, I think it's just a real contrast to a lot of discipleship modes that we are used to in, in our kind of church culture. Mm. Yeah, David, I would I would love for you to share more about that because I think one of the things that you do so seamlessly is synthesize the a lot of the breadth of Christian tradition that doesn't tend to be brought together in any one type of practice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as I think about the way Christian tradition can work, I think there's some real positives. But some of the, the downsides, I think, for me growing up is you know. I don't think I missed a day of church uh, growing up in my life, uh, meaning I was always kind of steeped in the church. And I think the and there's a lot of blessings associated with that. But I think one of the challenges as you're growing older and becoming your own person is how much of this do I really believe myself and how much of this is kind of the ritual around me? And I, I think for me that helped um, raise some important questions of does this really intersect with my life authentically or is this just something that I am uh, I believe and I ascend to but at the same time has not been uh, deeply integrated into kind of how I think about who I am and what I do in the world and I think that's uh, for me the context that really gave shape to a, a, a direction for kind of my ministry calling. And I would say that's always been my passion of how do we begin to integrate uh, what we see in formal ways through the Bible and through teaching, but somehow has to then get translated into people's day-to-day lives. And in some ways, faith and work became a very natural intersection of those things where I think my passion was much bigger than work. And yet this opportunity to work in New York uh, really came up. And for me, it was a wonderful bringing together of uh, a real challenge of can I, well, does the gospel really intersect with people's day to day? Because it can help them have a vision, perhaps, of uh, what God is doing in the world. But if it doesn't really begin to um, permeate, well, the moment they wake up and the dread of going to work and the grind of, you know, another day of work, um, 
then, you know, we really do have to question uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ, which you know, implies this kind of day-to-dayness and not just kind of the big picture. So I think that for me was probably uh, the kind of compelling motivation. And, you know, the Gotham Fellowship was really uh, my kind of way of trying to create a program that did that over the course of nine months, you know, almost a full year, at least from a, a work perspective of seeing how does theology and the study of scripture and the theology over the ages really begin to intersect with where people are and what they're experiencing through the rhythms of the fall and the winter and the spring. And, you know, we began to see that lay, lay people, uh, people working in various industries, not only did they have a huge capacity to absorb the theology, but uh, they just natively kind of integrated it into their lives because uh, they need to. They don't have to study the theology for uh, the sake of a paper or an exam as we in you know seminary kind of do, but they implicitly kind of read the theology with a desire to extract from it the things that actually matter to them and make sense of the worlds that they're occupying. So I think that's probably a bit more broader context of you know what really brought me into this larger realm of, of faith and work. Hmm. People that were participating in this were from the city, and they were professionals working in all kinds of different spaces um, uh, professionally. And, and then they would do a nine-month program of study, which was blending work and faith life together. Is that, is that right? Do you think that was unique to the culture of New York or like people were hungry for it in a way? I think people were hungry to have a bit more structure around the way they viewed their work and their calling. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I essentially saw the theology providing was a bit of like a, a structure or a roadmap to be able to make sense of all the challenges and the ups and downs of the work that they were uh, doing and engaging in each day. And the gospel just begins to give some real large brushstrokes of uh, the expectation that God has not called us to away from suffering, but often leads us towards it. And in the grind that people experience, all of a sudden that meaning helps them make sense that their frustrations and the heartbreak uh, of working and the disappointments that often come, that, that's part of the calling that we've received, as well as mm-hmm. it's not just meaningless uh, difficulty and struggle, but that through the struggle that God is able to really refine in us a heart that hopefully becomes more awakened to the love of Christ and our ability to then translate that love with empathy and compassion for those around us. And so we begin to bear more of his image, even as we're working in a context that often feels very far from the kingdom that he espouses. That's really beautiful. The the vision of work that would be revived by by love as i think you've put those words on um on the goldenwood website just to that that is really the center point is that our work would be made alive in this way and how have you seen so from the beginning of that um as you were forming, informed by the theology, as you were forming the curriculum around this discipleship program, did you, has your vision for discipleship evolved or changed over the years significantly? Or does it feel like it's very close to that original vision? Um, At least for myself, I think it's changed pretty significantly. Um, Meaning over the 10 years that we were participating in Gotham, 
in some ways, Gotham provided a very needed structure, a theological kind of backbone to be able to kind of make sense of the big brushstrokes of our calling. But at the same time, what we saw lacking was in some ways the ability to discern kind of God's voice in the day to day. That it's, it's, it's one thing to kind of have the big story arc. But it's another thing to see how that voice continues to speak, not just the the grand narrative, but also in the details of what we're facing every day. And it's really in the details of daily life that we grow in our spiritual formation. And so I think a, a big shift that we began to recognize is the importance of um, hearing God in the day to day and being able to recognize his voice over all the other voices that are competing for our heart and our mind. And sadly, the reality of the overwhelming amount of voices we're hearing just completely drowns out you know, God's voice in, in the context of our day to day. And I think that's what makes our sense of um, our calling get really diluted or very diminished uh, to the point where, you know, can we really call ourselves distinctively Christian when it comes to the day to day? Um, and and that's where I think we began to really take a shift towards this uh, larger focus on hearing the voice of God and learning mm-hmm. how to believe that voice over and above all the other voices and to respond in that conviction, and hopefully in ways that are distinctive. In some ways, we are really able to press into some of the uh, contemplative practices in a city like New York in a way that feels very unique for the New Yorker, for the average New Yorker. And bringing those things together, bringing kind of contemplative practices into a space that is always moving and never stopping and where the work never ends, so to speak, Hmm. it's forcing people to really put put that pause, put that stillness, put that silence and, and realize that they haven't been hearing the voice of God, that they haven't made the space. To, to hear his voice. So even though they may know on the one hand that we have a God that speaks to us in the everyday, you know, rhythms of and patterns of their work life and their home life, there just isn't even the space or the place. And they realize they've forgotten what that voice sounds like, or perhaps didn't mm-hmm. quite hear it to begin with. Yeah. Amy Lee, I'll just like follow up to say like in, in your own experience of these practices, you know, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in integrating the books and the theology and the scripture memory that we do and the day-to-day life? Like, is is the Holy Spirit kind of at the center of that mm. integration? Yes, definitely. I, I think there's, for me, a lot of my growth in the last decade has been in really recognizing the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our, in our understanding of the triune God. And the fullness that that brings, I think, in some ways, the Holy Spirit for me is is what connects the contemplative and active life that we live. You know that there needs mm-hmm. to be this real integration between those two things. They aren't two separate categories of life. You know, we aren't in contemplation and then we move to action necessarily. I think those two things mm-hmm. really hang together, and that's possible because of the Holy Spirit. Because there's a waiting on that enlivening breath. And so in some ways we're absolutely still and we're just waiting to be breathed through by the breath of God. And in other ways, you know, when that breath comes, we're absolutely set in motion and and active yeah. in the world as that as his power comes out of us. It does seem like um kind of echoing what you were saying a second ago, David, and what we're saying now, like that one of the ways by which 
the Holy Spirit gets our attention is through suffering or struggle or failure. And then it moves us toward those questions that we would otherwise avoid if we're just kind of like, (laughs) you know, just kind of staying in the hum of life and tasks and performance. And, and that sometimes when there are those moments of disruption and we have to like ask the questions that we've been pushing down, I think it can really like it or not, it can lead to some really fruitful contemplation that you mentioned, uh, well, you mentioned that the active life, this idea, and I know in a previous conversation, we talked about this book by P- Parker Palmer on the active life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about this book is um, it's the first one of his I've read and I love his approach and he's just kind of down to earth and feels like a conversation. But I love that the that it's based in story. Like each one of these sections seems to be drawn out from a story that, and then the story stays with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've really enjoyed that. Are there books? Is this one, or are there other things that have prompted some of the um, this shift in vision and in practice for you all? Mm-hmm. In some ways, I think the shift for me was probably more driven less by books and more about, I guess the. I would say the art of, of prayer. You know, how do we begin to allow the, the books that we read to begin to settle and make sense of um, the narrative that we are beginning to experience more of? And, you know, you mentioned disruptive and um, the disruptive narratives that we have. That everyone has a mm-hmm. sense of like a story that should have played out this way, but then mm-hmm. this is how it really played out. And I I think when we read, I mean, this is my interpretation. A lot of times, you know, books often have to have a a structure to it, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, an argument, a logic, a flow, so that you used to, you you kind of begin to think that life should operate that way. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, that's just not true. And I think a big part of the shift is realizing, and I read the biblical narratives, you know, that, it's not you know what I think we ideally hope in our lives, which is a, a progression of you know things getting better, things mm-hmm. learning and growing, and you know getting more and deeper friendships and meaning a meaningful job. And uh, for whatever reasons, that just doesn't happen that way. Uh, but I think the biblical narrative, especially as we think about the life of Christ, is almost you know antithetical to that kind of expectation. And the whole of Scripture, you just see, again, disruption after disruption. And the Bible paints a very and often um, you know puzzling picture of how broken our world is. And mm-hmm. I think that's begun to shape the way that I think about spiritual formation a lot more than trying to create this this structure. And I, and, and I know it's almost like, you know, you first create that structure to, through the theology, but then you almost have to deconstruct that to say, but, you know, as, as we try to make sense of our world, the sense that begins to emerge is that God operates off of a very different paradigm and narrative that we begin to develop on our own. And uh, it is that, that's pla- that place where life throw some real curveballs that we begin to understand the power of what God is able to do in that space. And, you know, I sometimes refer to that, that place as this, this liminal space or marginal space where we don't like to be in the discomfort of that marginal space, but it, it is that place where the, the power of God is most evident and the narrative of God's, you know, uh, renewing work becomes all the more apparent. And it is uh, this this weird 
an uncomfortable place where you experience both the amazing presence of God, but also the sense that the change, the redemptive change happens in this kind of liminal or marginal space where brokenness is, is so real. That, that resonates with me for sure. And in my experience with prayer or, or questions around it or um, how the practice has changed, uh, I think there was a shift for me a few years ago where, like you're saying, it's almost like, okay, here's, you've read all the books and you've, you know, absorbed all this information about the relationship with God and what it's supposed to look like and what I think my life is supposed to look like. And then when there's some sort of disruption or breakdown of what of, of that trajectory, then the prayer starts to get real, <laughs> you know, and then, and for me, it was helpful reading the Psalms during that time and borrowing those words. And, and, and then I think what was happening is the Psalms were actually teaching me to pray in a way that was a lot closer to like what you said before, like hearing the sound and the voice of the Holy Spirit, or like in John, is it 10 or 11, where, he's, where Jesus is talking about the voice of the shepherd mm-hmm. and distinguishing the shepherd's voice from the voice of the deceiver or, or from the one who would want to steal and kill and destroy and beginning to differentiate the sound of his voice is so much a part of that prayer. And for a long time, I just didn't want to be still enough to listen. You know, there's like a a measure of patience that is not natural to us necessarily. I mean, not, it's not natural to me. I don't know. Maybe it is for, (laughs) for some, for some personalities, but it's, um, it's so hard to be still in, those places of discomfort mm-hmm. to be able to hear and to let him speak even in those discomforts, you know, to, to let him speak some new and even joyful things in surprising places. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the joy I think is the thing in this practice, even with Goldenwood that surprised me the most, like is just, okay. So we're trying to ask the questions or trying to pray in a way that's authentic and real and not just playing church and then what emerges, what comes back out of those places of maybe tears or struggle uh, is actually joy and mm-hmm. affirmation and blessing and power from the Holy Spirit to go back and, you know, apply all that to the work in a way that's really transformed. We'll come back to my conversation with David and Amy Lee in a moment. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. As you were talking, it reminds me of Nicholas Wolterstorff's book, um, Lament for a Son. Mm. And, you know, he describes his process after his son died and at a young age. And he describes the grieving. And in this book, it's it's so profound. But you see yeah. such intimacy with God that it's almost hard to, to put it into words. But he's done it well by mm-hmm. giving an account of that time in his life. Yes. So, I think that that time you know there's you know those uh who go through hardships like that you know all you really can do is is 
wait and persevere because you know the the healing and the resolution it just feels like nothing's going to really heal that very quickly and so you, you know when you use the word patience it, it is the challenge of the brokenness is what begins to help us see that the patience that god requires is not just the patience of getting through this immediate hardship or pain that you're experiencing but in this time of waiting to begin to realize what he's asking you to do is to wait a whole lot longer, <laughs> meaning he wants you to wait till the second coming of Christ. He wants that. I think that's where he's saying, yes, this little bit of patience is I want you to see the bigger picture. And, uh-huh. and that's where I think, how does God teach us to have that kind of long view? To have a patience that's not just about, you know, can I get my life back in order in a year, but really about can my generation or what I leave behind actually, you know, point to something bigger than myself. Um, So I I do think that when I look at um, passages like Hebrews 11 and other passages in scripture, that it is they have this long view that mm-hmm. i don't know if we because of our technology or just the, the pace that we live our lives that we just don't really cultivate that kind of um bigger picture and mm-hmm. I, but i do think the brokenness that we encounter and hearing the voice of god begins to help us see that you know perhaps this pain is not going to be resolved now but the pain will help you to see this greater resolution that god is at work uh, mm-hmm. to bring about in our world Oh, I just, I was struck again by Hebrews 11 and thinking about exactly what David just mentioned, you know, where at the end of that chapter, we're told that none of, none of these <laughs> received what was promised. And I, I really, when we think about kind of having this long sight with eternity really capturing our imaginations in such a way that it is incredibly compelling and that we really do kind of glimpse um, that, that vision in the midst of the here and now, I think there's a shift in expectations that we need to have. And in some ways, God, in his, you know, in the way that he is divinely gracious with us, sometimes mm-hmm. the pains that enter our life are because it, you know, he's really unhooked us from these expectations that we've been clinging to that were probably mm-hmm. the wrong ones to have. And in uprooting those in our life and kind of, you know, throwing us into these places where we have only to depend on him. I think that in some ways is a place where we can have this vision of eternity recaptured or rekindled for us. Um, mm-hmm. and, and recall that, that beauty of Hebrews 11, you know, that the city that we long for is the one that is designed by God himself and that we may not see these things in the here and now, but we trust that he is bringing them and we get to participate, you know, joyfully in the little bits and pieces that we get, might get to play. Mm -hmm. yeah i love that phrase that you know i had some music that was derivative of that of that vision from hebrews um an album years ago called the builder and the architect because that phrase like if he indeed is building and designing and it it just gives it's really exciting to think what he might be making (laughs) even though we don't see the full picture of it what have you found are helpful ways to access that kind of gospel imagination like the david a while ago we had a conversation a few months ago about about that and just the contrast between you know disneyland would present like this you know this perfect world and this in this kind of 
there's one version of what we think, what is imagination, right? What does it mean to tell a story? And then the gospel gives us something that is really not what we thought it would be, <laughs> mm-hmm. and yet more glorious. Like, how do we, um, what do we do to to enlarge our sense of imagination and wonder at this vision that God has given us in mm-hmm. Hebrews 11? Yeah, I, I think this idea that, you know, God is the, he is the preeminent storyteller. And as much as we are drawn to in stories that we hear, you know, how do we begin to listen? Uh, Because the Bible certainly is a story that God has given to us. And yet this voice continues in our lives. Uh, The voice that we see in all of creation or hear in all of creation as all of creation proclaims his glory. And as we enter into communion with him in prayer, to be able to anticipate that God would not only speak to us, but he would actually enliven our imaginations, that he would use the space and faculty of this thing that we call the imagination uh, to help us understand the largeness of who he is and what he's doing in our lives. And to be able to have a story that's kind of unfolding in prayer, I think is a remarkable life-giving activity and mm-hmm. when we think about again how god reveals himself in in the scriptures as uh, being three persons one god or, or the trinity and to think even with that that's been a, a really important part of developing cultivating this larger prayer of understanding you know we take for granted that when we look out into the world we are seeing in three dimensions and you can be looking mm-hmm. at one object but it's really you know these three dimensions working together that helps you to see kind of the fullness of whatever you're looking at and it's almost like god as he's revealed himself to be three persons that we we would need these three persons to help us understand you know who he is uh, that he is a mm-hmm. god who is one in three and no that's a, a bit of a mystical concept and yet i think what helps me see why that's so important is it, it brings a fullness to who he is that when we pray and just you know effectively pray to one person not recognizing how god has revealed himself in these three ways you know, through these three persons in scripture that for me has been an important part of really fleshing out the fullness of who uh, the godhead the godhead is mm-hmm. so you're saying that it's almost so in prayer imagining or thinking about God's in these various roles like is there a different role for Holy Spirit Jesus and God the Father so you pray with that in mind you know based on these attributes of personality yeah I, I think I liken it to you know imagine yourself having a conversation with three of your 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 <laughs> friends you enjoy the most you know and each person brings out a different part and you know you can have a conversation with one person but as you have the, the conversation with you know the three of these friends it just kind of makes you fuller because what they say interacts with what you say and then what they say to each other and all of a sudden something uh, much bigger than you had initially come into that conversation (laughs) begins to emerge in your head and i I think that's how it is when we think about god you know our limited minds in some ways can't really conceive or we tend to reduce in order to understand and i think in the trinity we are kind of forced to expand in order to understand to be able to (laughs) look at the father and the way that scripture reveals who the father is and to look at the son and to 
think about how the scriptures again reveal who Christ is and, and the Holy Spirit and to be able then to hear with the distinctives of how each person is communicated uh, in the scriptures, hear their voice coming out of that distinct personality and all of a sudden there is a much more interesting conversation that we begin to hear and you know in the oneness of our god it's still one you know it's not like there is a cacophony of voices but there is a, a symphony of voices coming together to create something much richer yeah it wasn't until um recently thinking about prayer with the trinity in mind and then going back and reading the genesis account of creation it was the first time that i had ever noticed the Holy Spirit's presence in creation as a, as creator, like as hovering over the void. And, you know, when I think about songwriting or music or just my, that craft for me, it, it I, I mean, it unlocked something new to, to pray with that in mind and to think about what we do. Um, and all of us are creative, right? So it's not just because it's not just because I'm in a, a categorically creative environment <laughs> mm-hmm. professionally, but that we all have this responsiveness to the spirit as creator. But I, it's, I, it really did change for me as just a little testimonial of that <laughs> to think about all three of them, you know, <laughs> being in that scene in the very beginning and that it wasn't just God speaking as the father, which I think of almost like the Aslan character, the singing out over creation, Mm. but also the spirit with nurturing qualities and comforting qualities, bringing order out of chaos. And, and even in the chaos of this year and all the disruptions of COVID and, and the open-endedness of that, we don't know how long and we're going to have to wait but with this year and with, you know, as you're doing Goldenwood, it is now online rather than in person. Are there things about that that have surprised you, even joyfully surprised you about the work you're doing and collaborating on right now? Yeah, I, I think this has been such a surprising time to develop intimacy with people who live miles away. I mean, on the one hand, we know technology can do that. And sometimes it's used in, in a direction that's perhaps not towards towards flourishing and and formation of more fuller humans. <laughs> but I think um, in the sense of how we've been able to bring together people, whether it be through retreat experiences or through, um, we have kind of an online four-week journey, a listening journey that uh, people are going through. And have, we've been doing this now since COVID began just about every month. And it's been a surprising way to see and to rely on, I should say, to rely on what we know to be true about the Spirit, which is that in Christ and because He has left us with His Spirit, there's an incredibly unifying power that develops among believers. And when you have nothing else to rely on because you have no you know, past history with these fellow mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, to see people really press into that and almost experience the power of that unity to come into a place where they there's deep trust and the ability to share openly and to listen to God for one another, as opposed to mm-hmm. just seeking their own good, but really to, to press this into more communal patterns through technology, through these, you know, Zoom rooms, essentially, has really, I think, surprised us. And and you said joyfully, you know, it, it, I, I love that description of it because as challenging as this year has been, I think David and I have felt that um, the Lord has really guided Goldenwood to be in a place of 
uh, being able to create these joyful spaces for believers to come together and press into all these things that we've talked about, you know, new ways of, of understanding prayer mm-hmm. and pressing into the Trinity and the patience of God and how sometimes, you know, all that we see and the disruption that we see is is more, feels more present. And yet there is this larger story that we are called to persevere in together. So it has been a joyful endeavor in some ways that's very antithetical to the outside world, but I think it's also very true to where the Lord desires for his people to be in terms of cultivating a vision of, of what is to come. And that would be truer than the ups and downs of our daily life. It's been really, um, yeah, it's been fun to see. There were a couple of times as I've been part of these groups that where you have these points of connection with people um, on a Zoom call or through um, studying the same scriptures in parallel in different places. And when you don't have the props of like a potluck lunch after church, <laughs> you realize like that, you know, the potluck is is a really enjoyable part of community, but it's essentially there's something much more mystical that happens with communion of believers all over the world. And this year really gives us an opportunity. This new season that we're all thrown into gives us a unique glimpse into what it means to be like the body of Christ and to have union with Christ and with each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, yeah, I think there's, you know, there are a lot of ways to lament this year and the things that have been lost and the things we thought would be that are not that. But there are other gifts that it's not just like a superficial optimism, but there's really a, a deeper sense that, that God is at work and that there are things we get to experience now that are so unique in this moment that we're in. So it's been really fun. I've loved getting to walk with you guys this um, this year, long distance, and just seeing that formation happen, even in my own heart and in my own prayer life, and and how that spills over into creative and family and work. Um, so I'm really grateful for you both and for the work that you're doing, and just will continue to follow and pray and um, lift you all up and. So yeah, thanks for making time today to be to be here to do this. Thank you, Sandra, and we really appreciate just uh, the chance to speak with you. And and just want to yeah, just I think this this place of COVID is uh, bringing out some really cool connections, and certainly our relationship and our ability to work together has been one of them too for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. Your gifts, Sandra, too, have, I think, influenced and really nurtured us in many ways, too, over the years. And so we're, we're, we're thrilled to be able to connect in, in life and ministry this way. Man, thank you so much. Yeah, it feels like those, those are real gifts, like just to be able to have friendship across the miles that, that holds and that takes new shape over time. And really grateful for you both. Steadfast is created by Sandra McCracken, our producer Leslie Eiler Thompson, and editor John Fletcher in partnership with Christianity Today. I'm Sandra McCracken. Thank you for listening. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.